podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. So today we've got Kevin Armstrong joining us. He's one of the executive producers of the new Netflix docuseries, Killer Inside, The the Mind of Aaron Hernandez. So Kevin, thanks for joining us to talk about this today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So obviously the the Aaron Hernandez story really hits home here in Connecticut, uh, given that he was born and raised here. And there are a lot of connections uh, to Connecticut in the docuseries. But before we get into that, I, I want to take a step back uh, and give you a chance to, to introduce yourself to our audience and how you got involved with this project uh, and, and what your role was, uh, you know, as one of the executive producers on this series. Sure. I started covering Aaron Hernandez's, uh, we'll call it the criminal cases, with uh, from the day he was a suspect. And literally, you know, from knocking on doors to trying to understand who his victim was, Odin Lloyd, and speaking with family members and different uh you know, figures in the community. So I spent about 14 days initially up in uh, both Boston and Bristol, Connecticut, and really anywhere that I, I would hear that Hernandez was uh, associated with. I was a reporter for the New York Daily News at the time, kind of on the enterprise beat with uh, sports and crime. And it really developed from there. You know, I continued to follow everything from uh, the day they had the Jersey exchange for uh, any fans who had Hernandez jerseys and wanted to trade them in at Patriot Place to uh, straight through the first trial, which was 10 weeks long, um, the second trial, the suicide, and uh, the diagnosis of uh, CTE. So uh, really saw the full uh, picture in terms of Aaron's uh, you know, career. Yeah, I even covered him uh, you know, at the Super Bowl when he uh, played the Giants and caught a touchdown from Tom Brady. So this was someone who I saw, you know, both on the field and off the field and really uh, was just intrigued the whole time by uh, what led him to make the decisions that he did. How, how does all of that reporting that you've done then go from, you know, reporting in, in articles into a docuseries? Uh, how, how did you get involved with that aspect of it? Sure. Uh, my colleague, uh, Dan Wetzel, who's also an executive producer on the project, He's a columnist for uh, YahooSports.com. And both of us, after the first trial, he, he had covered the first trial very intensively, a few things with Hernandez earlier. So we were very interested in maybe, you know, doing a book. And we spoke about that after the first trial. And, you know, that uh, project really didn't come to be. But, you know, we had our proposal and, uh, you know, uh, we were put in the same room as a production company uh, with the uh, Gino McDermott, who directed uh, our series, and you know we just hit it off. He completely understood what we were looking at in terms of true crime and the NFL and the intrigue that was created, and he knew that we kind of had a roadmap. You know, some inst- a bunch of institutional knowledge um, in terms of the story. So you know, I, I was involved from you know developing the narrative arc in terms of uh, first we did a uh, ninety-minute feature film uh, documentary that was called My Perfect World, and that premiered at the Doc NYC Film Festival uh, a little over a year ago. And, you know, then we got the attention of Netflix, and, uh, you know, they uh, came on the project and expanded it into a three-part docuseries, which is what you see now as Killer Inside, the Mind of Aaron Hernandez. And it's really been, you know, 
quite a quite a career um, you know uh, move in terms of going from the newspaper end to stitching together the story with moving images and still photography. And, uh, you know, I arranged a number of interviews. These are people who I spoke to along the way in terms of my earlier reporting. So it all uh, lent itself to telling the story in a uh, long-form documentary uh, format. So obviously, Bristol, where Aaron grew up, played a, a big role in his story here, um, you know, whether it was who he associated with, just his growing up here in Bristol, can you take uh, the audience here through a, a couple of the major points of Hernandez's time in Bristol that, that really played a big role, uh, you know, in his development and in the story down the line? Yeah, so, you know, obviously they're connected family, the deep roots there, and, uh, there, you know, there's a large uh, contingent, uh, you know, really on both sides of uh, Hernandez's uh, parents' uh, lineage and whatnot. So, you know, the Hernandez name was known, and, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, he was the best talent to come out of Bristol Central by far. I mean, you look in the Connecticut high school record books, and, you know, he, he surpassed everybody, including, you know, Pete Demerley, who had a great career at Notre Dame. You know, the, the statistics, like, I think there was one game where he had, you know, like something like over 300 uh, receiving yards. Um, in one high school game and you just, you know, you see that and you're like, you know, this kid was a singular talent, you know, from the day he stepped on the field in high school alone, what he did in the pros. Kevin, one area that, that is touched in, in the series is Aaron's brother, DJ played at UConn and there was some talk about Aaron going to UConn. You know, he, he did go to Florida where he, he did end up in some trouble during his time there. How much of an impact do you think that choice to, to leave the state and go to UConn, or go to Florida rather, you know, impacted his story here? Because, you know, it he could have been escaping some distractions and issues that he had here in Connecticut by going to Florida. But at the same time, it could have kind of exacerbated some of those issues here. How do you see that? Sure. I think everything's twenty twenty hindsight. But, you know, he kind of left home at a time when, you know, he had uh, recently lost his father uh, tragically and, uh, you know, routine hernia operation is what he had gone into the hospital for. And, you know, he never came out. So um, Aaron, even though, you know, he had committed to UConn, he, you know, makes the switch to Urban Meyer in Florida and, uh, you know, completely different area. You know, he hadn't spent much time down there. He gets into Gainesville. You know, there was a lot of distractions for a young guy to get into, uh, who, especially one who's trying to find himself still at that point. And, you know, I, you know, I don't think anybody can, you know, finger, hey, you know, like if he had gone to UConn, everything would have been fine. But clearly he would have had more people around him, um, especially in terms of uh, people who knew him growing up and whatnot. And there would have been plenty of support at UConn. I think it's a leap for anybody to, you know, just say, hey, you know, this was really the beginning of the downfall for him at Florida. In, in terms of, of that point you bring up that he could have been around some more people, you know, uh, that he was connected to had he gone to UConn. It, as you go through the series, you're kind of introduced to, to a handful of people here in Connecticut who played a role in, in what Aaron had done um, in the murders. Can you talk about some of those people and in, in the impact that uh, those connections had on Aaron? Yeah, Alexander Bradley is, you know, a guy, you know, from the streets, a, you know, drug dealer. Uh, that's how he kind of first hit it off with Aaron, uh, kind of shortly after he was going through the NFL draft process and kind of making the 
professional jump and you know he kind of came into Aaron's life and he had a very you know he had a rap sheet and you know had access to guns and various uh, parts of the uh, that world so certainly not the influence that you know the Patriots or anybody would really want an impressionable young professional to be be exposed to let alone you know really incorporating into his life but they hit it off and you know for whatever reason Aaron uh, you know really stayed connected with Alexander until uh, you know there was a allegation uh, Bradley says that you know Hernandez shot him in the eye after a night out in Florida so you know that was one Connecticut based relationship and then also Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace who um, were at the scene of uh, the Odin Lloyd killing um, were guys from the Bristol area who Aaron had kind of brought on as kind of chauffeurs and kind of body guys to be around him and you know the, some of the friends uh, point to the fact that you know if he had been drafted by Seattle or San Francisco say you know somebody far from uh, Bristol not just the you know two-hour drive uh, Oxborough or whatnot maybe things were different but this was you know the path that Aaron went down and you know he really uh, he was the alpha in those relationships you know a lot of those guys didn't necessarily need Aaron Hernandez but he welcomed them into his life for sure. I think one other area of the of the series that that's really intrigued a lot of people and, and what you're hearing uh you know in in reviews and all and people have watched it is his fiance who he did meet in high school uh here in Bristol Connecticut as you got to dive into this case a bit more were you surprised with how much she chose to to stand by Aaron because watching the series it seemed like she stood by him no matter what and was there for him uh, when it seemed like other members of his family uh, were not there as much. Yes, you know, Aaron was accused of and then eventually convicted of killing the boyfriend of Cheyenne Jenkins' sister, uh, Shania. So that's some uncommon level of loyalty where she you know, just flat out chose Aaron over really anybody else in her life. And I think that, you know, draws interest. I think a lot of our viewers who have seen the series or, you know, have uh, some basic knowledge of what went on here, the, the the sister's relationship and, you know, clearly Aaron and Odin, you know, met because of them, you know, they were dating sisters essentially. So uh, that, that's something that to the end of time will uh, certainly um, be of interest. And, you know, we have the testimony, there's tension in the courtroom. You would walk into the courtroom each day and you know, on the right is Shania, and on the left is Cheyenne, and uh, there's no, you know, acknowledgement of each other, just going about uh, completely separate lives at that point. Between the, the reporting you've done leading up to the series, and then once you started to dive a bit more into the series, was there any aspect uh, of this case or into Aaron Hernandez that really surprised you the most uh, as you got more and more involved with the project? Yeah, I think it's the ability to pull off a double life, um, he had a flop house, even though he had an infant daughter and a fiance, and you know he feared for his life in terms of security and whatnot. So, um, just seeing somebody who's on that stage, on that pedestal, that you know, catching a pass from Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, everybody thinks you know, forty million dollar contract that he would be fully happy and satisfied. And clearly, he wasn't. You know, he had a taste for stepping out and 
really trying to establish a different life that he really didn't have to. So um, I think that's, you know, the endless fascination with the case is that this is someone who went down these paths, even though most people would have looked at them and, you know, seen success and really, you know, not needing to uh, answer any questions beyond that. When you talk about him living two kinds of lives, having that second home, you know, while he has a, a fiance and uh, and kid at home, another interesting part was this uh, was the development of, of Aaron's sexuality and how that was fluid. Can you talk a bit about the role that played in the series, uh, in the, ultimately the role that his sexuality may have played, uh, you know, in his suicide? Uh, that as that's uh, discussed, you know, obviously uh, state investigators and various law enforcement officials had probed Aaron's life pretty thoroughly. And, uh, you know, after, uh, in his second trial, the double homicide, uh, there were even conversations at some level that, you know, trying to figure out if this was relevant to the case. And then, you know, on public, uh, on, uh, on radio, on sports talk radio in Boston, a reporter had, you know, said that, state police or police were looking at that line of questioning. And, you know, she spoke in pretty crass terms in terms of, you know, Aaron's sexuality. And, you know, that was one layer. And then clearly Aaron, uh, you know, committed suicide. And there was full, you know, wonder of, you know, there's somebody claiming that he had a relationship with Aaron. Eventually the Boston Globe spoke to, uh, you know, a high school football teammate, uh, Dennis Santucci, who claimed, uh, to have, uh, you know, had a sexual relationship with Aaron uh, dating back to uh, their teenage years. So we wanted to provide proper context and perspective. And, you know, that's why we spoke to Ryan O'Callaghan, um, a former New England Patriot, uh, who had eventually come out himself. And, you know, just, you know, what that life is like, obviously, there's a lot of uh, uh, homophobic uh, language that's used in NFL locker rooms and really in the sporting life in general. So that was, you know, trying to understand that, you know, uh, section of Aaron's mind was really uh, something that we felt was noteworthy. Another big area, uh, along with his sexuality, that, that, that is brought up is the, uh, is the issue of CTE and the, and the impact that had on Aaron. Can you dive in a bit for us into some of the impacts, uh, you know, that you think that CTE could have caused? Because I, I know in the series it shows, you know, a couple examples. It shows, you know, what happened with Junior Seau. Um, you know, so, so the issue of CTE is forefront in everything that, you know, when you're talking about football and injuries now. So curious to get your thoughts on, on that role that CTE might have played here. Yeah, you know, obviously it's something that's come to the forefront in terms of, uh, you know, the football world at this point. I think it's been about a decade where the word has been out, you know, in terms of uh, retired football players and past players, you know, going through the uh, the repercussions and kind of the aftershocks of all those hits that they've taken and given over the years. So my, you know, thought was always that uh, Aaron clearly, you know, made some impulsive decisions and there are things that you can attribute to CTE. But, you know, at the end of the day, he was 23 years old. He was, a, you know, three years in the NFL, three years at the University of Florida. Clearly he took a number of hits. You know, we have, uh, footage from the NFL that clearly shows them, you know, really, uh, you know, the hits that he took. And we have 
phone calls from prison with his fiance, um, Shiana Jenkins, that mentioned the uh, his body being broken. You know, he, he talks very openly about that. So I, I think that it was, you know, by no means can you place, you know, he was a killer because of CTE, but it, it's certainly a contributing factor when you look at the uh, wider uh, landscape of everything that's happening in the football world right now. Another part of the series that that really interested me was the recordings you got uh, of Aaron Hernandez in prison making uh, various phone calls, whether it was to his fiance, uh, relatives. I think there was one with, with his agent. Can you talk about the process of, of getting access to those recordings, and, and then how important you think those recordings were to telling this story here? Yeah, pretty early on in the filmmaking process, we had filed Freedom of Information Act uh, requests. And I think generally, you know, unless the prisoner or inmate has been released and or uh, deceased, uh, that they remain, you know, locked up by the state. But, you know, all those phone calls and, you know, it's it's any phone call an inmate makes from jail or prison, um, they're always recorded. And, you know, it's mainly, you know, the state's ability to track if they're saying anything incriminating or, you know, relaying any information would be you know, use in a uh, trial or whatnot. But um, for us, they're, you know, voices from the grave. There's never going to be a definitive Aaron Hernandez uh, interview. He never spoke to the press or sat down for interviews uh, since the day he was arrested. So it was um, enlightening to receive those unfiltered conversations where he's speaking with loved ones and friends and family uh, you know, from his position locked up and, you know, at times he's reflective, at times, sometimes he's uh, humorous, other times he's, you know, quite aggressive uh, in kind of saying things to his mother about his past and whatnot. So I think uh, it really is an illuminating uh, aspect to the docuseries for sure. One, and I think I'll wrap with, with this question. Um, you know, in, in that uh, later episodes, you're, you're introduced to his new attorney, and that, that's Jose Baez, and he sits down with you guys, he talks, uh, and is a part of this series, but but since it's come out, he's he's been pretty critical of it. Um, how do you take some of the criticism that you get from, from a participant in the docuseries out there? You know, he, he said he made claims, you know, that, that some of the suicide stuff uh, was not sexuality, it was more of the CTE aspect, or, or that you guys lied to him in some of the production. How do you respond to some of those comments um, from someone who, who participated in the documentary? Yeah, look, Jose Bias is a very aggressive, and he's a very impressive attorney. You know, having sat in the courtroom and watched him uh, make his case in the double homicide trial, uh, you know who Jose Baez is when he steps in a room. He has a presence to him. And that's part of why we felt he was important. It was imperative to include him in our project, to uh, you know, speak with the man who not only defended Aaron, but gained an acquittal for him in that case. Uh, you know, Jose sat down with us willingly. Uh, we enjoyed the interview with him. I was there the day of the, uh, you know, when he spoke and whatnot. And, you know, we appreciate his input and his feedback on the back end. Obviously, you know, the producer and the production team and the filmmakers, we make our decisions in terms of what's included. And we really felt that we 
held up a mirror to the whole situation and kind of let everybody else decide uh, what it was. And the thing is, you know, CTE, sexuality, drug use, you know, football pain, all these things, they're all contributing factors um, in terms of what was going through literally the mind of Aaron Hernandez. So we, you know, presented it as such, and we hope that everybody kind of goes in with an open mind in terms of, uh, you know, just understanding uh, what happened here in Aaron's life. Kevin, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, really appreciate the time. And uh, anyone out there listening who hasn't had a chance to check out Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez, uh, highly recommend you check it out and uh, learn more about Aaron Hernandez, the situation, especially his conne- connections here to Connecticut. So, Kevin, thanks so much for your time. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT Scoreboard Pod, the host at Jared Kotler, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.